We are looking at the Bible course here. Uh, we're doing these in our small groups. If you're visiting us, great course, really good course. And it does an overview, the kind of story of scripture. And you know when preachers get up and they go, my topic today, how am I going to do this in one sermon? And we interpret that and we think they're going to go on a long time this morning. That's what that's saying. Well, how am I going to do this in one sermon this morning? Jesus, we're doing Jesus, the Gospels this morning. That's, that's where we've landed. And uh, this is, if you like, the title for our sermon this morning. Jesus comes and saves. And how we're going to look at that is by looking at this. I want to pick up on new wine, new wine. I feel this is quite prophetic for us at this time. So we're going to look at this. We're going to continue it next week. Next week. When we have our family service, new wine is going to flow. The wine is going to flow here at Beck. Do I hear an amen to that in the house of God? Yeah. Just to let you know, we don't have an alcohol license. Okay, so it won't be that sort of wine. But we want new wine to flow. I'm going to say a bit about that now. We're in Luke 5. If you're following in your Bible, we're in Luke 5. And uh, just to explain the context of this. As I read scripture, as I read the Gospels, actually as I read the whole of scripture, but we're landing this morning on the accounts of Jesus. I have this impression that Jesus seems to think that the normal pattern of religion, the normal pattern of our spiritual lives, religion at its best is meant to be joyful and celebratory. But that is normality. Now, let me just explain that. There are times in life when we go through crud. And don't you thank God that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering. He knows how you feel. And for some of you, he knows how you feel right now. Because he was broken. But let me tell you this, that is not normality. That is not the kingdom come in fullness. Because there will be a day when all that pain and suffering and hurt is no more. And that is normality. That is what God created the world to be like. So I understand, I'm not being glib here, I'm not being triumphalist. I thank God that in those rubbish times that... We've been through. Ali and I and those we love have been through. I thank God that Jesus was right there with us because he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering. And he wants to see me through those times. But I thank God that they're going to come to an end. Because if we didn't hang on to that, if we didn't have that as a hope, what, you mean we've got an eternity of this pain and suffering and stuff? You mean we've got an eternity of that? No. So Jesus wants to bring the kingdom now. This is a picture, it's called the laughing Jesus. I like it actually. You don't very often see images of Jesus. We see him upon the cross and I cherish the cross, I honour the cross. We're going to go to the cross this morning. But I thank you, I think he was, I think he was a man that knew joy. And the problem was this, it was always getting him into trouble. And in Luke 5, we find him in the midst of a group of people called the Pharisees. And this was what the Pharisees were like. They were strict in their observance of the law. They felt 
If we keep the law, if we keep these rules, we will please God. We will be in righteousness and God's favour may be on Israel. And so they were very, very good at rules. And Jesus here, he upsets them. In Luke 5, he's in a house and there's a guy there brought before him, paralysed. And Jesus forgives the guy's sin. Well, the Pharisees got it right. Only God forgives sin. And they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. So they were right in that. But they didn't like the fact that he forgave the guy's sin. And then he healed him as proof that he had authority to forgive sin. Because the power of God was on him. He was God. He meets a guy called Levi. He's a Roman tax collector. A Jewish tax collector working for the Romans. And he, this guy's life is transformed. Jesus calls him. And he throws a party. The Pharisees look and they say, why does this Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors? He's mixing with the wrong sort. They're going to they're going to impact in him. They're going to they're going to they're unclean and that's going to rub off on him. You see, Jesus, this is the thing with Jesus. He went into unclean situations and made them clean. They were worried that if they went into unclean situations, those situations would make him or the Pharisees, they make them unclean. But with Jesus, it was the other way around. In Luke 6, he gets into trouble about the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees had taken the law of God in the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, but then had added to it. You can't do this and you can't do that and work is this and and just added burden upon burden until people were worn down. And Jesus' disciples, they eat corn on the Sabbath. Jesus heals a guy in a synagogue on the Sunday. Think of that. Healing. In church on a Sunday. Because we're, we're not meant to work. This is where the Pharisees were at. They'd been so bound in their rules. So this was miserable and sour-faced religion at its best. They had developed a judgmental and critical spirit. That's always what happens when you get bogged down in details of right and wrong. What are the details? If I, if I step here, am I still in the right or there? And we get so bound by these things. They got so bound by rules. And out of that, they were judgmental of others because they thought they were keeping the rules. And so there was a self-righteousness that came in and they saw others as not keeping that. There is a little challenge here for us, isn't there? Folks, what's, what's our spirit like? Do we find ourselves being critical. I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about church and religious stuff, actually. I'm just talking about everything. Do we have a bit of a critical spirit? Well, we may be on the path to Pharisaism. And God wants to do something about that. He can change that around. The issue may be with us. It may not be at those, looking at those situations you're looking at. It may not be their problem. The issue may be with you. I've seen it in, in rugby. I've seen people that have gone from church to church. And they've always managed to find something wrong with the church. And then in time, they go somewhere else. I think I said, I met someone not so long back and I said, where are you worshipping? It was a bit naughty of me, I must be honest. Because I know they've done that a bit. And I said, where are you worshipping now? Are you still worshipping at the church I knew they'd left us to go to? They said, no, we've moved on from there now. Let me tell you, there'll always be stuff to criticise. Ask a friend. Ask your husband, ask your wife. Do you think I'm, I'm critical? 
be honest, see what they say. Might be worth, might be worth chewing over the cud after lunch. You'll have fun. Luke 5, let's have a look. Luke 5, this is, this is where we're at. So the Pharisees said to Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. They're trying to understand the rules. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will not fast. And he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch on an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For they say the old is, and I should have translated that a different way, or at least changed it. My understanding is that that translation is not the best translation. The old is better. The translation is actually the old is good enough. The old is good enough. So it's not that the old is better. It's that the old is good enough. It's, it's fit for purpose. It's manageable. That's OK. We'll come back to that. So in the midst of the Pharisees, one in the rules about fasting, about the Sabbath, about healing, Jesus starts to talk about weddings and new clothes and wine. Chances are these words were spoken at the very party that Levi threw. So Jesus thinks, as they're wanting to know the rules, Jesus thinks, this is a good time to be happy. I want to focus on the new wine then this morning. He starts to talk about new wine. And it is a good summary or at least it's right at the heart of what Jesus came to do. Well, what was the significance of new wine? What did these Jews that hear Jesus start to talk about new wine, what, what would that have done for them? What would have started to go through their mind? It was more than just wine. There are over 40 references in the Old Testament to new wine. That's a lot. Usually the references are with grain. It talks about new wine and grain and 16 of those references are to oil as well. So in the Jews' mind, they'd heard in their heritage was there's new wine and there's grain flowing, abundant, and there's oil, which would have been uh, for food and uh, also for healing and all of that. What it spoke of to Jews was this. It was a picture. When there was new wine and grain and oil, it meant you were in a place blessed by God. You see, they'd heard this. They'd heard stories, promises. All God's promises to Israel were yes and amen. They'd heard promises of this. And usually when you look up new wine in the Old Testament, it talks about times when Israel is experiencing joy. Experiencing protection, experiencing prosperity. So there's a picture, it conjures up for these Jews, a picture that somewhere in our past here, we're called to be a people blessed by God. And we're going to experience new wine and blessing and protection and joy and abundance. This is what it conjured up for them. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 12 and 13. 
the law, Moses says, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you. I'm going to come back to covenant. As he swore to your ancestors, he will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and oil. If you walk in God's ways, Israel, if you obey God, then you will experience this wonderful place of blessing and favour. So new wine was evocative for Jews. And Jesus is saying this. I've got new wine for you, Israel. This is coming again. I've got new wine for you. Your religious life is not all it can be. You haven't got there by religion, have you? Look at where you are as you're oppressed by the Romans in this nondescript little land in the middle of the ancient world. You've lost your way somewhere. There is more for you. Let me tell you, brother, sister, church this morning, there is more for us. There is more for you. There's always more in God. There's always more. There's always new wine. He honours the past. He honours the foundation, the heritage we have. But there's something new. There's something more. And isn't this a picture of John 2? What happens there? Jesus goes to a wedding. He likes weddings. God seems to like a nice wedding. Who likes a nice wedding? We're going to a few weddings. We're going to t- I love weddings. I love taking weddings here. It's great. I love, I love this about, since I've become a pastor, I love this about a wedding. It's not just we're getting the couple married. That's, they could go to a registry office for that. That's not what we're doing. What happens is this, the couple come and the family get around them. And then we as a community get around the family and the couple and we celebrate together. I think it's a great picture of what church is meant to be, what the kingdom's meant to be. Celebration, joy, relationship. That'll do me. It better do you because that's eternity. Okay? Relationship, community, celebration like that. And Jesus, at this wedding, he takes these religious jars. It says they were like the jars used for ceremonial washing. So, so he brings these jars. He gets these, this religion at a wedding. Who wants that? Who wants dry, arid religion? Who wants religion? Ritual. And he gets these jars and he says, when they've run out of wine, start, start ladling out what's in them now. And it's new wine. And not only is it new one, it's not like, no disrespect, he's gone across the road to Tesco and got for three quid a bottle of rubbish. I don't know, I don't drink wine, okay? He's not gone and got a nice IPA. That's a beer, by the way, for those of you. He's not just gone and bought something cheap, he's got the best wine. He's changed it to the best wine. It's a picture. I've got new wine for you, Israel. You're going to like it. Do we want this? Do you just feel in your life now you could do with some more joy? A little drink of joy. A little drink of hope. A bit of a drink of more energy. I'm not talking those rubbishy energy drinks, you know. But energy, joy, life in the Holy Spirit. Would anyone like that? Anyone at all? Anyone? Seven of us. Good. Well, there's some caveats. There are some caveats. Did you see them? 
New wine needs new wineskins. I understand that in the fermentation process of making wine, uh, the the, uh, sugar by the yeast is turned to alcohol and it produces CO2 gas and therefore it expands. And so you have to put new wine, fermenting wine, in a new wineskin, because if you put it in a dry old wineskin, it can't expand. And as Jesus says, it will burst. So we need new wineskins for new wine. It means this, if we want new wine, by definition, we will have to be ready to be reshaped. We will have to be willing to let God reshape us, to make us malleable. It means this, how many of us like this word? There will be change. There will be change. It's just by definition. If there's new wine in a new wineskin, there needs to be change. I think that's a word for some of us this morning. In fact, I I had made a note of it in my notes. It's just come back to me. I think for some of us, God has new wine for you. He has new wine, but change is needed. Change of some sort. You may know what it is. You may not know. But what you need to do then is just be open to it. But he's got new wine. It's no good thinking I'm going to get new wine by doing the same things. Because if you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. And so you need to be open to change. Lord, I pray, release a grace to be open and malleable, to change, to just be soft, to do, go about things a new way. God's got wonderful New wine for you, celebration, joy. Do you see the other caveat? You'll be tempted to settle for the old wine. We will be tempted to settle for the old wine. This was the Pharisees and others. Jesus understood there will be those that will say the old wine is good enough. What's wrong with what we've already got? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, unless it changes, you won't get the new wine. You won't get the new thing that God is doing. You won't get the more unless it changes by definition. And certainly the Pharisees missed out. Just coming into preparation here and talking with some other folks who have a not dissimilar sense. I think this is prophetic for us. I think God has new wine for us as a community of faith. But we will need to be open I think he's got it for us individually. I think he's got it for us corporately. But we'll need some new wineskins. Things may look different in a few years' time. The key thing is this. We may not know where that's headed, but the key thing is this. We've got to be open to be shaped and let the Lord do that. Okay. Jesus introduced a new wineskin for this new wine. He introduced several new ways. There were, there were different understandings, new perspectives that Jesus had. But I want to look at one of them in particular here this morning, and it's this, the new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant was Jesus's, one of Jesus's wineskins for new wine. And there was joy to be had. Now, don't switch off. Don't switch off. Covenant. That's that's some religious word. How can that be relevant to us? Isn't that boring? I want to tell you, just even as we were singing, why can we have confidence in his faithfulness? Well, partly if we understand covenant 
and what it means. So I want to explain this. So stay with me here. I'm just going to teach through this, okay? So what is covenant? What is covenant? If we can understand this, like I say, this will anchor our lives, an understanding of covenant. And it's this. In Scripture, covenant is an agreement determining the basis of humankind's relationship with God. So covenant is the agreement by which humankind came into relationship with God. There were several of them in the Old Testament. God had one with Adam. He had one with Noah, with Abraham and Moses, different kind of parameters. But he had covenants with these guys. There were various ones of them. The word covenant, actually, in the Old Testament, it's just a word that means cutting. Because, as we'll see, a sacrifice was usually offered up and it's, it was cut and its blood flowed. It was a sacrifice. So that's all the word covenant means, but that's what it was. It's how we come into relationship with God. Let me ask you, are you here this morning? Do you know for sure you have relationship with God? Do you know the basis of that relationship? Stay with me and let me try and explain to you what the basis of that relationship is. Some characteristics then of covenant. Firstly, the conditions of the agreements are determined by God. The conditions of the agreement are determined by God. In the New Testament, looking back on the Old Testament and looking back on covenant, there were two words for agreement or covenant that could have been used. One of them is the word syntyche. Syntyche is an agreement where both parties were equal and both made the covenant. That's not the word the New Testament uses. The New Testament word for the covenant of the Old Testament is the word diatike, diatike, which is where one side dictates the agreement. One side dictates the agreement. Well, who do you think that was? God. God dictates the terms of biblical covenants. That's very reassuring. Let me tell you why. He doesn't break covenants. Hallelujah. My confidence is in your faithfulness. You keep your covenants. We break covenants. Sadly, people marry, they make a covenant to each other. Sadly, We break covenant. I understand there's all sorts of reasons for that. My own parents were divorced and some of you will have been. We haven't got it in us always to keep covenants, certainly not by ourselves. God does not break covenants. Isn't it good that he he dictates the terms then? Because we just step into that and he doesn't break it. So firstly, the conditions are determined by God. Secondly, they are ratified, verified by blood. Covenants in the Old Testament were verified, sealed by blood. In Exodus 24, Moses sprinkles over the people. They brought the bulls in. It's been killed. It's a sacrifice. And the people are sprinkled with blood. Let me just tell you, we're heading towards the new covenant. Okay, that's what we're going to explain. In fact, ta-da. In fact, what we've got here are the emblems of the new covenant. Aren't you pleased this is all we need this morning? How many of you have got bullocks out in the foyer ready to be slaughtered this morning? Karen, did you bring one? Did you bring your sheep? A couple of doves maybe. Aren't you pleased I am not a priest who has to 
mediate between you and God and carry out the sacrifice for you. Aren't you pleased, he said, as he wears his nice white top this morning, that I am not about to grab the cup and sprinkle it, Dan, over and wake the little one up. Aren't you pleased? I would be if I were you, because messy, time-taking, all of that. We'll understand in a minute why we don't have to do all that. But it's all done. It's all done. But the covenant is sealed with blood. Why is that? Well, in the Mosaic covenant, there was a system of sacrifices. Animals were slaughtered and the blood covered the people as a sign that their sin was covered. Their sin was covered. Well, why did their sin need to be covered? Because when we break God's law, we deserve death. Spiritual death, certainly. We deserve death. And an animal was given, was sacrificed as a substitute. And the blood of that animal was put over the people. It was, it was administered in different ways. Sometimes it was literally thrown over. The priests had it on their earlobes. We should have anointed Chris this morning. We should have, you know, just got a bit of, bit of blood or something and put it on his ears and on his big toe, was it? Certainly on his ears anyway. So the blood was ministered. Why was that? Well, Leviticus tells us this. The life is in the blood. The life of the animal, the life of any creature is in the blood. So as a sign that a life had been given for the people, the blood of the life was sprinkled. A life was given as a substitute for the people. That's going somewhere, isn't it? That's going somewhere. And as a sign that this blood, this life had been given, blood was administered. So it was ratified by blood. It was participated in by faith. This is interesting. You entered the covenant, you made covenant by faith. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, sometimes we have an idea that the idea of the Jews or that the effectiveness of the Old Testament law was this. You had to keep the rules and thereby earned righteousness. Well, no, it wasn't because we were all lawbreakers. We couldn't keep the law. The law wasn't designed to make someone righteous. It was faith in the sacrificial system. It was faith that made the covenant. Faith that this was, these sacrifices were God's prescribed way. In Romans 4 and Galatians 3, it talks about the law and the place of the law. And it says the law never led to righteousness. It says Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith. And so he received the blessings of the covenant. So the covenant of the Old Testament was participated in by faith. It wasn't earned. You didn't earn your way into the covenant. You didn't earn your way into a right relationship with God, even in the Old Testament. That should go somewhere. And finally, it was continued in by relationship. Sorry, by obedience. Covenant relationship, you continued in it by obedience. You committed to walk in God's ways. Let's have a look again at Deuteronomy 7. We read it earlier in relation to grain and new wine. But did you notice it said this? If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. Well, why wouldn't we? If we have a God who's committed to us in covenant, why would we not choose to live to please him? 
and not make a mockery of what he's done for us. That's what we do when we live in disobedience. We make a mockery of all Jesus did for us. We trample his sacrifice underground. And so we continue in relationship by obedience. It's it's like in any relationship. When we're in relationship of any sort, that relationship is better when both parties look to honour one another and live and serve and love one another. And that's the same with the covenant of God. We continue in that relationship. That relationship is harmonious when we live to please him, not when we walk our own ways. Actually, let me tell you, it's not a safe place to be when you don't continue to live to please God. You put yourself out of his protection. You're no longer in that place of blessing and prosperity. You take yourself out of there and that's a vulnerable place to be. Why would you go there? Well, what's the new covenant then? What's the new covenant? The new covenant is this. It's the agreement that Jesus introduced as the basis for enjoying relationship with God. Jesus brings a new wineskin a new covenant. Look at Luke 22, 14 to 20. Luke 22. This is Jesus in the upper room. And it says this. When the hour came, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover. They were celebrating Passover, the escape from Egypt, with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God, when there'll be a wedding again. He just seems to have a thing about weddings and celebrations, does Jesus. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Heaven knows what these Jews must have made of that. What is, what's he on about? There's a new covenant and, and his blood? What, what's wrong with the sacrifices? So where's Jesus going for this? He's introducing a new covenant. Actually, all of that that we've explained so far, the Old Testament, the Mosaic covenant, foreshadowed the new covenant. It was ratified by blood. The new covenant was ratified by blood. Jesus was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why was he a lamb? Because he was sacrificed upon a cross. And his blood was shed to cover our sin and to make a way back into relationship with our father. That is why you can trust the blood of Jesus, because it was his life offered. There is no surer sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sin for all time than the blood of Jesus. Whatever you have done this morning, let me tell you, whatever you have done this morning, you will never commit anything that cannot be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Some of you are sat here thinking, yeah, but you don't, You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. Let me tell you, it's under the blood if you will trust it. It will cover you because his life was given and the life is in the blood that he shed. Trust the blood. Trust the blood. Come back into covenant relationship. 
It's participated in by faith. It's by grace you've been saved, says Ephesians 2. By faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Look at Galatians 3.9. It talks about Abraham. Those who rely on faith now are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So again, some of us as Christians, we live like we're trying to earn God's favour. That we've got to that we've got to earn his acceptance. Now, you may, you may have had to do that with a father or mother. You may have had to live to please a teacher in school or someone else influential. You do not have to do that with Jesus. Let me break off you now. Any trying to perform and hit a certain standard, his blood has been shed. That's enough. Have faith that his blood has been shed and it covers you. Can I just tell you, I realise it's warm in here and all the rest of it. That's good news. Okay, that's good news for you this morning. That you have not got to earn God's favour. However much you've got to people please elsewhere. You haven't got to please God like that. And actually, not having to people please God should set you free in other areas. Because if God's for you, who can be against you? Charlie Skopek, is God's for you? Who can be against you? Brother at the back there, if God's for you, who can be against you? Bob, if God's for you, who can be against you? And he's for you. How do I know? Because his blood was shed. His blood was shed. All his promises are yes and amen. We continue by obedience. By means of the Holy Spirit. We don't do this in our own effort. Let Let me just quickly show you. How God's provided a way for us to walk in obedience. Look at Hebrews 8.10. The writer to the Hebrew who spends a lot of time unpacking how Jesus has, has replaced the Mosaic covenant. He says, he quotes Jeremiah and he says this. This is the covenant. So this was in Jeremiah. It's the book of Hebrews quoting it. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws that the Pharisees had worked so hard to try and obey. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's relationship again. That's what God wants. It's relationship. Well, how's that going to happen? Look at what Ezekiel says. How is God going to write in our hearts his laws? What on earth does that mean? I will give you says Ezekiel, well, says God through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to obey my laws. As we have God's spirit in us, as we're listening to the spirit, as we're obeying the spirit, as we're reading the word and the spirit is bringing revelation, we're moved to do what God wants us to do. It's by the spirit. It's why we need the Holy Spirit. It's why we need the Holy Spirit. I've I've been to churches. I've known churches. You know the black and white photo at, at the start there? that feel a bit like that. I've seen them. I've been, to a, I've been to a very religious Northern Ireland. No disrespect to anyone here from Northern Ireland, he said, because he knows there are people here from Northern Ireland. But there is a religiosity in some churches there that's pharisaical. It's rule-keeping. It's arid. It's stern. It's harsh. It's unsmiling. I don't want to keep God's laws like that in my own effort. I want it to be by the Spirit changing me because I'm a hopeless cause otherwise 
Can I tell you something? So are you. You're a hopeless cause. Without the spirit, with the spirit in you, there's hope for you. Stella, there's hope for you. More to the point, Stella, there's hope for your husband. Don't give up on him. Because I think he's got the spirit in him. And he might yet change us. That we might be moved to obey his laws. Hallelujah. I thank God for that. Thank God I haven't got to have my bullock here this morning. And I thank God I've got the spirit in me. It just makes it more possible. Glory to God. Preach it, brother. I'm going to get my handkerchief out. Just, you know, because that's what they do. It's just anointing. There's anointing. Sorry. (laughs) Needed a little bit of light relief there. Right. We're coming into land. Okay. Let me finish with this. Stay with us, okay? I realise it's warm in here. You've done really well. Thank you. You remember I said there's a place of blessing for Israel and they'll know it's the place of blessing. They'll know they've found it when there's abundant grain and there's wine flowing and there's oil. And when Israel finds that place and says, hey, we're in a place of abundant grain and wine's flowing, they're to stay there. That's the place of blessing. Does that foreshadow anything? We have grain here. If we needed more, we could get it. But it's not the quantity of the grain. We have wine here this morning. Again, if we needed more, we could get it. But it's not the quantity that's important. It's the efficacy of it. It's how powerful it is. This is a place of grain and new wine. Israel was to stay in that place of grain and new wine because it kept the favour of God down. Walk in obedience, stay in that place, receive that blessing. I want to say to you, brother, sister, stay right here. I don't mean literally stay here in church. I mean this. That place of blessing and favour is in Jesus. That's that place. You stay in Jesus. You stay in Jesus. You stay in his word. You be obedient to him. You love him. You pour out your devotion upon him. You listen to him. That's where you stay. If you stay in that place, that is a place of blessing for you. You can go wandering off and looking elsewhere. And I think we looked at that last week. Israel wandered and wavered. Don't you wander. Don't you waver. You stay right here. I think it was foreshadowing this. So we're going to come to the table this morning and we're going to receive the benefits of the new covenant, forgiveness in Jesus, his blood that covers your sin. There's the promise, we're going to look at this next week, of the Holy Spirit, the oil. There's grain, wine and oil, anointing. We've got that as well. We're going to get some of that next week. But we're going to stay right here this morning and we're going to receive these blessings I want to encourage you be open to that let's come now shall we can ask the band to come back up why don't you just in the quiet of your heart and just to say religion doesn't have to be quiet and solemn to be good it can be But it doesn't have to be. And actually, there's something to be said that probably, certainly, I think, in the West, as we said before, conservative Christianity, we probably 
err away from the side of joy and celebration. Well, why don't you have a drink this morning of new wine? God's wine, God's joy, God's hope. Let's just be open to the Spirit now. Holy Spirit, as we come to prepare ourselves to receive these emblems of the new covenant, Lord, I pray that you would fill us, whatever our circumstances, Lord, with joy. And Lord, we thank you that, again, if we're in the midst of stuff, it's going to end. But even, even if that situation is not changed, we receive the kingdom now. The kingdom that is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit come. Why don't you just prepare your hearts. Thank God for his body broken. Thank God for the blood that covers our sin. Thank God for the new covenant and the faithful God who will not break it. Can we put up Luke 22 again, David? Thanks. So when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 